You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Thompson, and you're listening to Arn right here on Westwood One. And of course, we couldn't be here without the man of the hour, the founder of the Four Horsemen, the Hall of Famer himself, Double A, Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? Conrad, I am honored to be in the presence, at least on the microphone, with not only the hardest working man in showbiz, the hardest working man in any business. <laughs> Oh, whatever. I appreciate you saying that. You're too kind. Nope. I think it's the truth. And I don't think people realize how hard you work and how many irons you got in the fire. And, you know, you're, you're trying to bring this product, uh, with the podcast and everything, you know, to the people of Europe, as well as, you know, God knows where else. And, uh, you know, you've developed a, a following of people that are very appreciative, including me. And I don't think we thank you enough. So thank you. Wow. Well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. And thank you for joining us, uh, here on the show today and taking time out of your busy schedule. Of course, we're coming off an unbelievable show last week in Atlanta. We told everybody to watch in Atlanta. We promised uh, a big AEW cage match with Wardlow and Cody. And now the chips have fall fallen where they may. This is the go home show this week. And then next week. Uh, or I guess this weekend now it's, uh, it's pay-per-view time. You guys are going to be in Atlanta and we're going to see MJF and Cody come to a head. We know where you stand on this. Uh, what type of match should we expect this weekend? Well, yeah. And I think that the big shocker is, you know, ever since day one, when Cody decided he was going to, uh, solicit my services as a coach, Everybody, not everybody, but let me just put it this way. A fair share of people have been waiting for the other shoe to drop. Never trust an Anderson. Cody, you know what he did to your dad. You know what he did to your brother. You can't trust him. God knows it's going to go down in Atlanta. And it didn't. So I'm very happy to say that I told people in advance this was a new day. This is a new thought process. Cody didn't didn't offer me a job. He didn't give me a job. I don't need a job, and I don't want a job. What he did offer me was to join him and be a, a support to him as well as everyone else in AEW, from Tony Khan to the Bucks. You know, to to everyone that's that's a part of that. Uh, you know, upper crust as well as the talent and all the all the production people be a part of that industry that is going to, in my opinion, 
be the company over the next 10, maybe 20 years. And he asked me to be, if I wanted to be a part of that. And absolutely, I love this business. I think everyone knows. So I accepted, and Atlanta came and went, and we're still intact. Yeah, I was not surprised. I'll be honest. I, I know that the relationship you formed with Cody is real, and I wasn't expecting any shenanigans. I was expecting a spectacle. I was expecting... Uh, some violence and man, we got that in spades and it all comes to a head this weekend. Uh, MJF Cody Rhodes. This is, uh, what Cody's been looking forward to since Baltimore. Is it not? Yes, it is. And before we go forward, uh, you know, I've been dropped on my head a few times. Kenny Omega is another one of those, those guys that has been here from the very beginning is in a position to make a difference in the company and he's doing a hell of a job. And I just, I just forgot I had a brain fart. I apologize for that. I've tried to include everybody in and, uh, now we can move forward. Repeat that question, please, sir. Well, we're just talking this weekend revolution on pay-per-view. You can join it on fight or your local cable provider. I think most of the world, all of our international listeners are going to be watching the big pay-per-view this weekend in Chicago on fight TV. And I'm sure Michael Weber is, uh, rolling in a, uh, a mattress filled with cash right now because Everybody is ready to see this big payoff, the big blow off. Can Cody Rhodes get revenge on MJF after what happened in Baltimore? Well, you know, one of the mistakes that Cody made was one that a lot of men make, you know, when he agreed to the 10 lashes, he was letting his ego, you know, do his thinking and make his decisions for him when he didn't really think it through. And that would have been a good time to ask me what I thought. But, hey, you know, he proved he's a hell of a man, and he stood in there and he took it. Now we're going to have a one-on-one scenario with him and uh, Max. Max is good. A lot of guys don't understand. A lot of wrestling fans don't understand. And to a very small degree, there was a time when I would have looked at Max and said, you know what, I may have a double Stoli Seabreeze with that asshole, you know. Because he's my kind of asshole. The guy says what he thinks. He's got a lot of guts. He's got a lot of ability. Problem is, he is young. And he's young in the business. And you tend to uh, lead with your chin in a lot of scenarios when you're young in the business because you think you're indestructible. Cody, who's a young man as well, but is seasoned. He's a veteran. He's been around a while. And he's been in the mix with top, top guys and top, top scenarios and every kind of match there's ever been, Cody's been a part of. This is just going to be a wrestling match. And it's going to be a, hey, who has more talent, who doesn't blow a gasket and get off of his game plan. We've got to account for the big guy out on the outside because what we did find out in Atlanta is the guy is a monster. He's going to have to be seasoned. He's going to have to uh, add a few things to his knowledge and repertoire. You can't just survive on on size and strength in this industry. You got to have cardio going for you. You got to have a thought process. You got to be able to react to things, not in a blow your gasket angry way, but in a plausible, feasible solution type way. And uh, he's got to do some thinking. 
before he does his acting. And once this guy puts it all together, he's somebody for the future that's going to be, it's going to be good. He's going to be a force. He's going to make a difference. Uh, and this particular scenario, though, we're going to just narrow it down. To it's going to be Max, and it's going to be versus Cody, and we're just going to see who's got uh, who's got the most moxie. Well, we'll find out this weekend on pay per view. Don't forget to see Arn. He's going to be there, of course, seconding uh, the American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes, and uh, we hope you'll check it out and uh, support all of our co-hosts here on the show because I can't believe it. Uh, 60% of my, my folks are now with AEW, uh, Tony Schiavone and, and Jim Ross going to be on the call. You're in Cody's corner. It's going to be a big weekend. Uh, order it on pay-per-view right now. And, uh, it's sold out. That's your only place to, uh, take a look, but it was not sold out. Elimination chamber 2018. It went down on February 25th from the T-Mobile arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. It was known as no escape in Germany instead of the elimination chamber. It drew 15,126 fans. It's the eighth Elimination Chamber event. It's a Raw-branded pay-per-view. Ticket sales were really, really sluggish for this show. I remember uh, in the local market, they were advertising, buy one, get two free, Uh, just trying to get folks in there. Um, And Vegas has been a historically sort of hot and cold market for WWE. It feels like at different times, they would do very, very well and then after this event, I think the edict was passed down. No big shows there for a little while. Why do you think markets sort of go hot and cold like that? Especially a city like Las Vegas, are they just inundated with entertainment and it's too competitive there? Yeah, I think so. Uh, especially Vegas. I mean, there's a dozen things you can do when you go to Vegas and, and a lot of people go there and I, I truly believe that a percentage of that crowd will travel to Vegas specifically to go to like a WWE event, but that percentage is small. I think a larger percentage are people that just happened to end up, they decided to take their vacation there or downtime there and, oh, WWE's in town. Well, hey, we're going to be here a couple of days. Let's go see that. And I think it's a, it's a random scenario uh in vegas itself because hey they have a lot of things that can entice you away um i think we're overexposed and i say we being the wrestling industry certainly wwe at that time there's just too many freebies too much television that's free to go and spend that kind of buck on a pay-per-view event and uh I think there's a, probably a, another half dozen reasons that it's not completely sold out, but uh, it is what it is. Well, we're making history for this one. It's the first time that a women's elimination chamber has happened, and it's also the first time we saw a seven-man elimination chamber match. And here's a little footnote for you. I think it's the first time a Raw pay-per-view since 2016 didn't have a cruiserweight match on it. But the big news is Ronda Rousey, which you teased last week. She debuted at the Royal Rumble and. Of course, we know she's going to go on to have a very big year with the company. Uh, I don't think some of our more casual MMA fans may have been plugged in who are listening to this as to what a big deal Ronda Rousey was. I mean, at this point, it's really her and Conor McGregor as the two biggest draws in UFC history. And, and, and when it comes to sort of, uh, leveling up your women's division, there's not a bigger name in sports that you could have pulled into the promotion than Ronda Rousey. Would that be fair to say? Yes, sir. Absolutely would be fair to say. I mean, Rhonda was right up there with Connor and, you know, uh, 
several other huge names that were the face of MMA. And it was a huge coup to get Ronda, who had been nothing but respectful towards our industry, but to get her into the fold and get her uh, to be part of WWE was a huge coup. Um, you know, Ronda and her three compatriots who were team partners in MMA, which is one of them is the, uh, uh, being featured NXT right now. Shayna Baszler. Absolutely a killer. Two other, uh, young ladies, I can't recall their name, but they called themselves the four horsewomen. And it was a tribute to us which I took very seriously and uh, was very proud of. When Ronda Rousey is saying she wants to bleed off of your moniker and and your gimmick, how do you feel about that? And we had that conversation one day in the the halls of uh, L.A. prior to this, and I went, Ronda, I am honored that you even know who I am. And that's the truth. and she got a little bit embarrassed, and you know she she's a very nice person as well. Uh, it's hard to believe underneath that killer there's a there's a sweet soul, but there is. And uh, for them to do that, that was a big deal for me. So I was honored to have her aboard. By the way, we should mention and this is a fact: uh, the prior year, 2017, she is the most searched female athlete in the United States online, and that is a big big deal for the WWE and. I think they would probably use some of that to leverage the giant television rights deal they got. Uh, we should also mention she's not the first person to make the transition from MMA into wrestling. Uh, Ken Shamrock did it. Dan Severin did it. And I guess Brock Lesnar actually went backwards and they, he did MMA after pro wrestling, but there's certainly been a bit of a crossover. Um, how natural do you think that crossover was for those guys? I mean, is it a hard transition or do you think especially for the younger generation, it kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah. I mean, certainly there are just a very few people that can do what we do and do it at the level that, uh, is considered top, you know, top shelf, just like very few people can walk in MMA and be a champion. Uh, and just because you do one, well, doesn't necessarily mean you can do the other and to cross over Ronda Rousey, you know, the match she had at WrestleMania and, you know, the last couple of matches she had, it's it's probably important to know. I bet Ronda didn't have 20 matches total her entire wrestling career to date. Wow. And she gave a hell of an accounting of herself. And I'm talking about training sessions and everything, maybe 20 times in the ring. That makes you a natural. That makes you something special. And to perform at the level, and she was in there with some top-shelf performers, you know, Becky and Charlotte, and, you know, who bring the best out in you. But, my God, to be able to pull that off, it's incredible. How many times a year does Brock Lesnar, you know, perform for WWE? I don't know the number, but, I mean, you can't think it's more than 12. At the most? Yeah, I'm saying maybe pr- promos, maybe everything, four or five, four or five times, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be able to perform at the level he performs at, when he really does knuckle down and decide to have a match, it's incredible. 
because you got to do this every day. It's like playing golf or shooting pool. If you, if you don't do it a lot, you lose your eye, you lose your stroke, whatever it may be. It's a precision game. Wrestling involves so many things. You got to be one part actor, one part athlete, one part ventriloquist, one part storyteller. And then you got to get into the cosmetics part of it. You know, there's so many layers that come into being a top pro wrestler performer. Uh, you know, it's more than just having one thing going for you. And to be able to pull that off and do both. I mean, my God, those MMA guys and girls are killers. That's all you can say about it. We should also mention that, uh, as we're having lots of talent come into the company, unfortunately, we're seeing some talent come out of the company or at least off camera on February 6th, Jason Jordan would have neck surgery for a herniated disc. And the surgery is that he has, uh, a posterior cervical micro to decompress the nerve tissue uh, or the nerve issue rather that caused the problems. And at the time, Jason is in a storyline with Kurt Angle as his son. But even now, I don't think we've seen Jason since then. Uh, it maybe could have been an interesting angle, but he's a guy who a lot of folks saw a big upside in at the time he was, uh, recently off a tag team with Chad Gable. Did you work with Jason at all? What do you think his upside could have been? I worked with him uh, under both circumstances that, you know, as a performer. And then when he got hurt, they wanted to put him in the producer chair. So he got to come to some meetings and sit in with me on some matches. I got to know where his head was at. Him and Gable were a great team. Yes, they were. They were damn good. And they could have been pushed to incredible heights because they were legitimate number one amateur wrestlers. My God, Gable was Olympian. And, and Jason had a lot of success as an amateur. But, you know, more importantly, they were a really, really good team. But when Jason, when his neck started bothering him, you can use all that, all that highfalutin uh, terminology you just used, which was uh, very impressive, by the way. All those medical issues all come down to this. He developed a bad neck. When you get a bad neck in this business, I'm the first one that can tell you everything else starts to fall in line with the bad neck. He had the grip issues that I had. He's, you know, right by the thumb and the first finger, that indention started to make its way. All the same symptoms of what I had. And I just, I didn't want to discourage him. And I just said, hey, keep, you know, keep your therapy up. Keep doing all the things that that uh, you've been told as far as the doctors go. I would say go to a chiropractor, go to a massage therapist, do all the extra things that you can possibly do to arrest this where it is right now. And I think it continued a downhill slope. And it's one of those things that when your neck, when you have a bad neck in this business, it just kind of affects everything else in your body eventually, if it's one of those deals. And it was one of those deals because he hasn't been in a ring since then, probably won't be in a ring unless some miracle cure comes up. And he was one of the guys that I think had a lot of talent, had a great mind for the business, had a great attitude as far as being in the locker room. 
you know, he had all, and he had a look in his eye. If you just, if you know what I'm talking about, you can look at a guy and he has this look in his eye that, you know, he's for real or for damn sure he believes he's for real. And sometimes that's all it takes. Uh, to be legitimate is you just got to believe in yourself. And that guy believed in himself and he had that, he had that eye of the tiger to be cliche, which is silly to say, but he had it. And uh, it's one of those lost talents that, that people will go back and go, let's see, we'll, we'll pull up some footage. I don't remember him. Damn, he was good. And they were good as a team. Let's uh, let's talk about a little shakeup that's happening on Raw in this era, at least on the announced crew. Uh, a guy you go many years back with, Booker T, is removed from the announcing team. He's going to be replaced by Jonathan Coachman, and he took to his radio show to blame Corey Graves. And uh, Meltzer wrote a report: Booker put the finger on his demotion uh, at Graves. In reality, the company had hired Coachman and kept it a secret from everyone because they waited until almost the last minute to tell Booker T. And one of the things that he would say on his radio show, he being Booker T, uh, is quote, if I catch him on the street, I'm going to do something to him. It ain't going to be at the office or anything like that. But if I catch him and it's not going to be at the airport, nah, I'm not going to do that. But if I catch Corey Graves on the street, you see that bouffant hairdo he's got, I'm going to rearrange it for him. I'm just saying, let me catch him at Starbucks. I'll tattoo him. So this of course is revealed to be a big, funny, ha ha. But for a few days, Booker and Corey had fun stirring up the dirt sheets. What do you think of that? When you, uh, just sort of run your own quote unquote angle with the dirt sheets, you for it, you against it, man, you've never talked about your attitude with, uh, some of the behind the scenes guys who cover the business. That's not my style. I don't begrudge anybody making a living off of this industry. You know, that's always been the knock on the dirt sheet riders that they're bleeding off of the industry and they're making a living off of it. Anybody that can make a living off this business and offers something to the business as a result of it, Hey, more power to them. You know, I I don't have a monopoly on who makes a living off of this business and who doesn't and who's allowed in and who's not. That's certainly not my call. Uh, I don't, I don't believe in, uh, shooting an angle and just throwing stuff out there just to see who's going to react to it and what the reaction is going to be. You know, there's got to be a little bit of truth in everything. Otherwise it's just all bullshit, you know? And, um, I know one thing about Booker T I've known him a long time and I know his brother and, uh, they're straight shooters. They're solid guys. And if Booker T did have a beef with anybody, he wouldn't be on social media threatening him. He would probably just go probably to his house and sit out in his driveway. And when the guy got home, whenever that was, he would say, okay, you had your say. Now I'm going to have mine. Let's, let's resolve this. Booker got balls. No doubt about it. That was the first thing he told me that it was just a work. It was just something going on to get to see who would bite. You know, just throw some bait out in the water and see who'll bite it. And a lot of people bit it. You know, Corey Graves was given some fruit, you know, some leeway. 
by the boss, you know, to to maybe toe the edge on some of the things he was doing. I would listen to commentary when I would get a chance. But when you're walking around and producing stuff at television, you don't get to hear commentary a lot of times. But, you know, he was able to push the envelope and get away with some stuff, which had to come from the office. You can't just shoot your own angle on, on WWE television. It just don't work like that. So I knew he had to have approval, and it was what it was. Those that had fun with it, those that went, ah, they got me. They had fun with it, too. So Let's, uh, let's talk about Corey Graves for a minute. What's your thoughts on Graves' work as a uh, commentator? I feel like he's a little bit of a throwback, uh, more of a Jesse Ventura style. I enjoy it. I think he's had fun. Um, messing with some folks who are, are critical of his work or the WWE product rather on, uh, on social media. And I, I've had the opportunity to hang out with Corey in real life. I, I, I think the guy's great and, uh, I enjoy what he does, but you're one of the boys, you're old school. You say things a little differently. What do you think of his work? Not really. And I, I tell you what I don't do and what you won't hear me do is knock the announced team for any company, for any reason, because I tried it once and we've been all through that. I failed miserably. I did get a respect that day for just how difficult their job is. And, uh, I feel that way today. Uh, a great announced team, almost become invisible. They're so seamless. They're explaining to you the stories and what's going on. And when they're allowed to paint the picture properly and actually talk about what we're seeing in the ring all at the same time, plus days and dates and all the things they have to cover in the history of, of what we're seeing and, you know, where it might lead next week, all those things they have to cover. You got to be very, very talented and have your shit together. And, uh, I respect announcers uh, in all sports that are able to pull that off and and uh, make it a, a pleasant viewing pleasure. Certainly got nothing negative to say about Corey, and, and uh, he has his own style, and if you enjoy him that much, that says uh, something pretty positive for me. That's all I need as far as endorsement. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, the XFL around the same time. It was announced that the XFL would be returning in 2020. And now here we are, February, 2020, we've already seen a handful of games. What are your thoughts on the uh, return of the XFL? Have you managed to catch a game yet? Yeah, I watched a uh, parts of, of, uh, games on both days, Saturday and Sunday. I watched a little bit of it. I was happy to see they're not gimmicky. They're just kind of playing it straight, right? I mean, they've got some new innovations, but, uh, I I think it's a much different presentation than the first time. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's not, you know, they're not incorporating anything wrestling into it so far that I could see, you know, there's no crossover there. They're trying, they're not trying to do anything. You know, the one thing that I wasn't a big fan of is, is they go up to the booth and the guys calling the plays. It just seems like a distraction to me because you don't know what they're saying anyway or the meaning. I mean, that, that just seemed like you're just something that was a little bit too busy that didn't necessarily fit. You know what I'm talking about? Sure. 
So, I mean, but, you know, they're going to, my opinion doesn't matter. They're going to make mistakes. I'm sure a lot of people think they were thinking, okay, I'm getting a little peek behind the curtain. Well, if you don't know what the lingo means, you don't know the play they're calling. My question would be, as we get on into the season and they start to hear those familiar plays being called from the booth, uh, somebody's going to figure out a way to get that information to the sideline, I would think. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Well, something we did see here in uh, February of 2018 is according to Mike Johnson at PW Insider, Mike, the Miz has just signed a new four-year deal, locking him up through 2022. I don't think that Miz probably gets his just due as what a valuable uh, piece of business he is for the WWE, not just in ring, not just on camera. But man, if you've got a, a PR thing, is there a better spokesperson, a better representative of your company to send than the Miz? No, I think Miz does a great job and he's, he's underrated as far as his value as an employee. I mean, he's a guy that I'm sure if you ask him, Hey, we need you to get up and do 5am radio, you know, do you mind? He's the first one to say he's smart enough to know, Hey, get my face on every media outlet you can get for as long as I'm here. So I'm just creating a household name and a household face. And, uh, I think he speaks well, carries himself well. He's well-versed on whatever's going on in the world. And he's a good representative for that. Without question. Also around this time, there's another change. Triple H is going to become in charge of live of, uh, in charge of two Oh five live. Easy for me to say, now, how do you think he did with that show? And, and what do you remember his goals being for it? Well, I think Adam Pierce had a lot to do with that too. He was like the, you know, the, wrestler bridge to the writers bridge to triple H they were all part of the same team and you know Adam is one of the uh, producers there that does a really good job he's a veteran he's pretty seasoned you know he had a lot of uh, experience coming into the job uh, those 205 guys you know all the stuff the cruiserweights are capable of and that they can do, they need to be the manager of a lot of that because the fact is wrestlers from my era couldn't even imagine in our mind, in our wildest dreams, some of the stuff they do, much less be able to come up with it and suggest it. So, you know, it was a pretty good effort between Adam, the cruiserweights, the 205 guys, and Hunter. I think they had a pretty good relationship. Let's uh, let's keep it moving here and talk about the company. It was released in February that in 2017, the WWE released uh, or recorded a record amount of revenue, $800,959,000. By far, it's record year up 9.6% from the from the prior year. Uh, profits were 32 million and change. Uh, the prior year, the company grossed 729 million. It's just an unbelievable number to think that a wrestling company can bring that kind of gross in. Is it not? It's staggering. It sounds like a Conrad Thompson spreadsheet <laughs> from one of those years to me. <laughs> But God, it's, you know, it's a, for, for just a regular cat like me, that those numbers are so unfathomable. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable, but you know, 
I see the houses, I see the the merch, you know, you figure in the network, all these different avenues and all that. And at the very forefront, you look at the deals with Fox, you know, and USA, those money deals, and you start just doing the math. And, man, it, it just – it's staggering, the amount of revenue that comes through the doors. And uh, it's definitely a money machine. It's definitely a, a huge, huge company. And uh, when you hear those numbers, you just go, good Lord. It's really remarkable. What else is remarkable is the, the show – that the gauntlet match has it's the go home raw before the elimination match. It's the longest match in WWE history. It's a gauntlet match involving Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, John Cena, Elias, Finn Balor, the Miz and Braun Strowman now start to finish. Uh, it's, it's an, uh, 106 minutes, 55 seconds. Can't believe that's real. Um, Rollins actual wrestling time over his three matches was 62 minutes and 16 seconds which is likely the longest actual in-ring time on a show for any wrestler in company history since the, uh, the old Bruno San Martino, Pedro Morales match of the century, which went like 65 minutes. It's four seconds longer than Rey Mysterio's 2006 Royal rumble, a marathon of a match. Ultimately we know Braun Strowman got the win. What'd you think when, when you first heard, we're going to do a, a crazy long match like that on raw. Well, I, I knew one thing, the one that you were going to put as the figurehead or the focal point or the navigator of this match being Seth Rollins was the best pick for the job. Seth is, uh, he is an architect and he is a smart guy. He's a tremendous performer. Uh, and he's a guy that gets it. He gets the business. Uh, he is put in a situation where he's overexposed too many times. I don't think in this particular situation he was overexposed because he was in there to guide everything that was going on for a large percentage of that match. And uh, he's the most level-headed guy. He's the guy that could keep the tempo going if something needed to be changed on the fly. Ted or uh, he would, you know, Seth would recognize that and be able to fix it, you know, uh, if it wasn't even something that anybody else knew was going on, he would figure out a way to fix it. So it's uh, that's a lot of time. That's a long time to keep an audience tuned in. That's for sure. But I guess the idea was that Seth could beat X number of opponents leading into the elimination chamber, which you had to do to ultimately end up winning that match. So that was, I guess, the precursor to the elimination match. Let's talk a little bit about elimination chamber. We're finally here. Uh, Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson are going to team up to beat Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas in eight minutes and 47 seconds. It gets a uh, star in three quarters, typical pre-show match. Anderson pinning Dallas after a, double team magic killer. And then we're on to the women's elimination chamber. But before we get there, talk to us a little bit about these pairings. First, we'll start with gallows and Anderson. These guys come in with a big rep off a hot run for new Japan. People are really excited to see them here in the company. It feels like they're off to a hot start very quickly. They cool off. It doesn't feel like they're going to do anything with them. 
there's rumors they're trying to leave or, or they'd like to leave. And then magically they start to get the big push. They double down, resign. It looks like there's going to be, you know, a new club in town. It feels like there's a little push again. And occasionally it feels like it's two step forwards and one step back. What do you think it is that's kept Vince from really going with Gallows and Anderson as two permanent top guys? If you look at the history of the show, you can take from last week till two years prior to that. You can go two years back and then go three years prior to that. Name me one team that has won on Raw or SmackDown a match three weeks in a row. I don't know that I can. Can't because it doesn't exist. There is no consistency in anything. That's the problem. That's why people don't get over. Gallows and Anderson, good team. Very good team. But unless you can be successful at least three weeks in a row, people just say, oh, okay. You know, if the if it's not perceived that the company perceives a certain talent as a star, which means winning and winning regular and getting over and getting hot and then being able to produce some results, you know, the reality is on a three-hour show, you got a lot of slots to put a lot of talent. And you've got a lot of talent on the books that could be out there if you would give them a little time and even in a losing effort would be able to enhance a team and have some guys advance. But they have to beat qualified opponents week in and week out so that it doesn't mean they're top guys. It can just be roster guys. Uh, but guys that, you know, the audience room, that they know who they are and that they've had some success in the past. Unless you let get some momentum in this business, then you're just part of the pack. And that's pretty much what happened to Gallows and Anderson. Let's talk about Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas, both multi-generation talents. Of course, we know that Bo Dallas is, uh, got quite the bloodline in wrestling and, and Curtis Axel, his dad was Mr. Freaking perfect. It doesn't feel like they've gotten, um, I don't know if fair shake is the right word, but Curtis Axel, it felt like they were really going to do something with when they paired him with Paul Heyman and became the intercontinental champion. They tried some different things with Bo Dallas. Then they put them together as a tag team. And now we really don't hear from the guys that often. And I think that's probably a shame. They're both good guys, talented performers. They've got the right pedigree. What is it about them that Vince just can't get behind? He just didn't, he didn't see anything in them. And those guys are tremendous performers. And I got to see them on the road every night with different opponents and, and, you know, having 12, 14, 15 minutes to go out and tell a story. Guys were tremendous performers. They just, I go back, you, you know, you can get to a live event and people can know who you are, but if you haven't won a match in recent history, who cares? 
And that's exactly what you had. They hadn't won a match in recent history. If they won a couple of matches when they put them together and they became the B team, it was probably on main event. And the only exposure they got off of winning the match on the main event show was because it was in social media. It was never on Raw, never on SmackDown, never on the big show. You know, you you gotta you gotta be a winner in this business to get anybody's attention. You can't win one and lose four and then be off TV five weeks. Just don't happen that way. You gotta have momentum to matter. But these guys in particular though, what do you think it is? Do you think it's Vince didn't like their look? Vince didn't like their ring gear. Vince didn't like their promos. Vince didn't like their in-ring work. Because, you know, just based on their pedigree, you would think, man, he's going to go with these guys. You'll have to ask him. It could have been one of those things or all of those things. Or it could have been, you know, because it only exists in his mind. And he's the boss. He makes the decision. That's it. When he looks at that room of creative guys, his creative team, and says, okay, I don't like that. I don't like that performer or that team. You know, that's it. Well, that's the, that's the kiss of death. It's, it's the, it's done. Boom. Over. Let's talk about the next match. It's the first ever women's elimination chamber match on the January 29th. Raw commissioner, Stephanie McMahon would convince Oscar who won the women's Royal rumble match the previous night. Uh, to wait until after the elimination chamber to pick which championship she was going to challenge for at WrestleMania. And, uh, now we've got Alexa bliss defending her title inside the elimination chamber. So we've got Alexa bliss. We've got Sonya Deville. We've got Bailey. We've got Sasha Banks. We've got Mandy Rose and Mickey James. Uh, they're going to go 29 minutes and 34 seconds. And the match opens up with Bailey and Deville. And after all of it, it's three and a quarter stars. According to, uh, Dave Meltzer. Bailey's going to use the belly to belly off the middle ropes onto banks, but bliss pins Bailey and, uh, that leaves bliss and banks. And as we said, bliss comes out victorious. She retains the first ever women's elimination chamber match, man, this proves for sure. We're not treating the men and women different. I mean, we've, we've heard for a long time that, uh, this is one of the most brutal concept matches in WWE history. Just the structure being so unforgiving. And now we're throwing the ladies in there. What'd you think of the decision to put the women in there? And then what did you think of what they did with it? Well, I knew they could handle it, but I also knew because I got up and walked around inside that cage, it was unforgiving. And there was a, you know, no soft place to land anywhere. Uh, that elimination chamber was, uh, it was a bitch and you could see the guys, Every year they would get up there and, and feel their way around and, you know, during the day and look that thing over and realize, oh, God, well, nothing changed. Towards the end of, you know, I want to say that they padded it up a little bit inside so you weren't walking on chain link or whatever the deal was. I think they addressed at least part of the issues, but it was still, it was an unforgiving. When you hit that chain leak, it didn't move. It didn't go anywhere. It wasn't like being in a cage match or anything else. It just, it was just a very, very dangerous place 
to work. And the ladies, I thought, without anyone coming out of it badly injured, more than proved themselves and gave a good showing of themselves. After the match, we get Renee Young interviewing Alexa Bliss, and the fans are chanting, You deserve it. She says, Thank you. Starts doing a bit of a babyface promo and says that this proves you can be whatever you want to be and to dare to dream and dream big. But remember that none of you will ever accomplish any of your dreams. Uh, so nice little piece of business here from Alexa bliss. Uh, and there you hear Kevin Sullivan in the background. He's fired up about this Alexa bliss match. And I'm fired up about the next match, which is for the raw tag team titles. we got Seamus and Cesaro on one side, Titus O'Neill and Apollo on the other. They go 10 minutes and one second. Meltzer gave it two and a quarter stars. Of course, Seamus and Cesaro retain. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Seamus and Cesaro tag team. Thought it was uh, very, very well done. It is a little bit of an odd pairing. I was uh, used to a more traditional tag team, and in time, they became that. They had a similar look, and it felt like the bar uh, became a cohesive unit. So I really liked the pairing. What would you think of this match, and what did you think of uh, Titus O'Neil and Apollo as a tag team? Well, it was designed to get Sheamus and Cesaro over, and I think they did gel as a team and embrace it and became a good team that they dressed alike, you know, they started to work together. Um, and, uh, I think that was designed just to be what it was. I think Apollo's a guy that, that, that has a lot of ability. Um, he's been there a long time. I don't know that you will be able to, you know, single him out and suddenly put a rocket on his ass, but the guy's very talented and he's a good guy Looks good, does a lot of things well. I, I wish the best for him. Titus is a guy that's been there a long time. He does a lot of uh, personal appearances on behalf of the company, and, you know, he's got a hell of a story to tell. And uh, Titus is a guy that, um, you know, they use in a lot of scenarios like you would use me as. And uh, it was meant to get the bad guys over, and that's what it did. Next up, we've got Oscar and Nia Jax. They're going to go eight minutes and 11 seconds. It's mostly Jax to score, destroying Oscar with power spots, according to the observer. But in the end, uh, Oscar gets her hand raised two and a half stars. Uh, but Meltzer says this match totally destroyed Oscar's aura. The biggest spot in the match is when Jax uh, throws her into the post and then tackles her through the barricade. Of course, the place goes nuts for that. Uh, what did you think of the match, and and what did you think of uh, the way they were positioning Oscar here? Uh, Meltzer, you know, criticizing it, saying it destroyed her aura. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. We're we're trying to get over Nia Jax as the monster, but somehow Oscar still finds a way to get her hand raised, and we keep the undefeated streak intact. If Oscar won, you didn't you didn't do her any damage. If you didn't make Naya the monster, then what what is she doing out there? Why is she a monster? If you're less, you're going to make her one. And if somehow, I don't remember the exact finish, but if Oscar was able to pull it out after getting her ass handed to her, it just made Oscar stronger. Let's talk about the next match. It's Matt Hardy versus Bray Wyatt. And um, I don't know. This is an interesting deal because we've got the whole crowd in tune with Matt Hardy doing the delete and the obsolete thing. Uh, Bray Wyatt, of course, is it's really coming into his own. Now we started to see 
glimpses of what Bray was capable of even a few years prior to this. I think at nine minutes and 55 seconds, Matt Hardy gets the win, which is not something you would probably see in 2020. I don't think he's won a match this year yet, uh, as he's probably finishing up on WWE TV, two stars, nine minutes and 55 seconds. What'd you think? Well, uh, check the record books had Bray won a match on a pay-per-view in recent memory during that period? No, not in that era. He was cold. They, they, they polished him up with the fiend, but he was, um, not on a hot streak here. Yeah. That you go back and look at the record. I, I mean, I remember hearing about it. It's like, okay. So many pay-per-views like 12 or something in a row, Bray Wyatt had lost. You don't lose yourself. You don't lose your way into getting over in this business. Right. You know, Matt Hardy, how many matches had he won prior to this? The delete thing was cool. It was different. It was audience participation, but God, you got to win a match occasionally. And, uh, that was just a match between two guys who, you know, were talented and, you know, the people love Matt Hardy. And I think Bray Wyatt had a better grasp of the Bray Wyatt character, as much as anybody I've ever seen, I mean, all that came from him, all those, all those promos that were from some other dimension that he used to cut when he was with the Wyatts and all that stuff that made you, made you just think, Holy God, what's going on in this guy's mind. He came up with all that. That was all him. He's a creative guy. And, uh, any, he, and he's, he's a good worker too. So it was just, but it was a combination of two guys that couldn't win a match Who's going to win? Okay. Hooray. Let's talk a minute about, you know, what we're seeing with these two characters in this era, we're seeing, you know, the, the obsolete and delete the broken, or I guess it was woken Matt Hardy. what do you think of that character from Matt? Uh, it's just, it was a little abstract for me, you know, it's, it's, and it came from a time when he was with TNA or something. Yep. And he was allowed to run with it and come up with his own stuff. I just remember, you know, seeing one of the episodes of the show and they had friggin' helicopters or something in the back and they were chasing Jeff down on a motorcycle or some hijinks was going on. On, I mean, it was hilarious. It was hilarious stuff. But it was meant to be off the wall, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, that's where it came from, but you know, they had free reign over the, over the characters, you know, to bring it to WWE and just have it be PG or woken light or whatever it was. It's like anything else. It is what it is. Did you, uh, did you ever own a, uh, dilapidated boat? <laughs> Never owned a boat. <laughs> what about these days? The Bray Wyatt character, the fiend. What do you think of that? Well, he's been, uh, reborn. It's a, it's a creepy, creepy looking character. That's for sure. And, um, he's being used a bunch better, uh, which is a good thing. And, um, you know, I, I, I just very seldom do you see a guy that's been around that long that that's able to switch gimmicks who hasn't had that successful of a run, no fault of his own, and and make it a huge success. And it looks like he's doing about as good as you can with the cards he's been dealt. Next up, we've got a uh, a Ronda Rousey segment. Um, She'll be out. Kurt Angle, Stephanie McMahon, Triple H, they're all here. 
trying to lay the groundwork for their mixed tag match at WrestleMania. Uh, and then it becomes revealed that that is definitely the way they're headed. Ronda's going to sign the contract at WrestleMania. What'd you think of the decision to have Ronda's first match in the company be at WrestleMania teaming with Kurt Angle against Triple H and Stephanie? Well, I, I thought it was a good idea. And the fact that if anything went south, you could have Kurt and Triple H cover it, cover up for it. And plug any holes that might arise or anything that might occur before it could get out of hand. You had two pros in there that could fix it. Thought it was smart. You know, WrestleMania walking down that aisle and stepping through those ropes is a pretty harrowing scenario. It's pretty nerve wracking for most people. And to be in there by yourself, relying on your own uh, abilities when you're as green as Ronda would have been at WrestleMania, my God, that would have scared anybody to death. At least when she was going to an MMA fight, all she had to know is what she could do, and that's break somebody's arm, and that's all she had to get to. When you're up there performing uh, in this industry, there's a lot more to take into account and a lot more to remember and a lot more to adjust to having a wrestling match than it is just going in and snapping somebody's arm, which she's an assassin. That's what she does naturally. Next up our main event, the first ever seven man elimination chamber match. Uh, we've got a bunch of qualification matches scheduled to get here, but when it's time to do the thing, it's Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, the Miz, Finn Balor, Braun Strowman, John Cena, and Elias. They go 40 minutes and eight seconds. Probably not a big surprise. Roman Reigns gets the win and the fans are sort of what they are with, with Roman for the last few years, three and three quarter stars is what it got. Uh, it's an interesting finish. I think Braun Strowman, uh, was super hot a year prior to this. They're still trying to uh, position him in a big way. He was doing all kinds of hijinks here, flipping vehicles and whatnot. Uh, and after the match, he's going to give him two power slams and throw him through the gimmicked pod. So quite the spectacle with Roman reigns and Braun Strowman. What'd you think of the match? And, um, what'd you think of the decision to go with Roman here? Well, I mean, this this has been beat, you know, it's like a dead horse. It's been beaten to death and people have analyzed it and reanalyzed it and all those things. Um, Roman Reigns is a pro. He is an asset to their company. Um, he's a badass. He's a Samoan killing machine underneath all that gentlemanly conduct. That That's what you get from Roman. He's a gentleman. He's a soft-spoken gentleman. I wouldn't piss him off, um, but I think he has been... Shoved and shoved and shoved and put in uncomfortable scenarios promo-wise that haven't allowed him to just be what he is. And you go back and you can, I don't know the number of times Roman and the Shield have switched heel, baby face, heel, baby face, heel, baby face. But I know the audience couldn't tell you that either, but they also know where a guy fits in their mind on the roster. Is he a heel? Is he a baby face? 
or they also know if a guy's being shoved too hard, our audience, for some reason, just shoves back. Unless you have a case of a guy that basically came from nowhere and was told on a shoot he was too small or he was too short or he didn't have enough personality like a Daniel Bryan who the audience absolutely adored and they got in his hip pocket and pushed him to incredible heights. Uh, Roman, you know, it's, it's, it's a shame because the guy is a star. He is a mega star and, and should be perceived as one. I think Braun Strowman, we all know to be a monster, but you don't have to have him just do ridiculous things like pull the Tron down and flip an 18 wheeler over to show me that the guy's a monster that goes beyond being a monster. You know, you pick up the rear end of a vehicle and the tires are sitting there spinning. The question would be if you push a guy and build a guy that hard, and you go that far with making him supernatural, what opponent is ever going to get him hurt? And if you can't hurt him, how can you feel for him? And if you can't feel for him, how can he ever be your champion? You know, when these things are being done for these guys, you just sit there and look and you go, you're just going to do more damage than good here. This is not plausible. For a guy to turn an 18-wheeler over, come on. So, I mean, there's a hodgepodge of things going on. They probably hit Braun with how many finishes before they got him out of there? Yeah. Ten? All of them. Everybody's maybe twice? Yeah. Does that make you feel for the guy in a positive way, or do you just go, oh, come on, enough's enough? No, I I, I didn't see it. If I'm honest with you, I felt like – I don't know. We're getting in the weeds and we're bouncing around a little bit, but SummerSlam 2017, Brooklyn, New York, the main event is, uh, Brock Lesnar, Braun Strowman, Roman Reigns, and Samoa Joe. I thought they should have went with Braun right then and put the big belt on him. And I think when they didn't slowly, but surely, uh, it became less and less likely to happen. And now, you know, he's got to run with the intercontinental title and let's not say he doesn't have his spot, but I feel like for whatever reason, they built him up, and then Vince was just scared to pull the trigger. Exactly. What else could it be? But in the meantime, you're making him indestructible, but he can't win the big one. So why do it? Bingo. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a little frustrating at times, but uh, listen, we love it, and that's what we're here to do. We're here to talk about it. We appreciate you jumping in the Wayback Machine, going back and talking with us. You saw the show uh, live when it happened, of course. The readers of the Wrestling Observer gave it 23.9% thumbs up, 29.1% thumbs down, 47% thumbs in the middle. I probably land thumbs in the middle as well. I enjoyed the spectacle of the Elimination Chamber. It is a bit of a guilty pleasure because you know it can't be fun for the performers. But it was cool to see this many guys in one. It was cool to see John Cena in there. I guess it's one of those deals where you don't realize what you got until it's gone. Cause watching this back, I miss John. Uh, and I enjoyed the, the first ever women's, uh, elimination chamber. So what say you thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. I just put myself in the, uh, in the corner of the talent and they all busted their ass and they all worked their ass off and ladies and gentlemen. And, you know, even though Braun took 20 finishes, 
that meant all those guys that diluted their finish by having them kick out of them once or twice or whatever meant that their company people, their players, they did everything humanly possible to get Braun, who's a good dude and a good performer and got a lot of talent, uh, to get him over without winning the match. And, um, you know, Roman Reigns, I got nothing but, but applause for the man. He, he does everything that's asked for him and goes out. I've, I've been able to witness some 20-minute Braun Strowman and Roman Reigns matches where Roman spent the entire 20 minutes getting Braun over. And uh, that just tells you who he is and what he is. And uh, thumbs up for me. I'm in the side of the talent. Forget, forget about the uh, finishes or anything else. I'm on their team. The next night on Raw, the Universal Champion Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman were advertised. They're supposed to be here to confront the winner of the Elimination Chamber match, but they no-show, and Roman Reigns would cut a promo on his WrestleMania 34 opponent saying that Brock Lesnar is entitled, that he hides behind his contract, which allows him to show up whenever he wants. He says that Lesnar doesn't respect the WWE, so therefore he has no respect for Lesnar, and he's going to defeat him at WrestleMania to become the Universal Champion. Uh, you were there. What did you think of the... Uh, we're going to promote him and now he's not going to be here. Lots of fans were confused. Is this real life? Are the lines of reality and fiction being blurred? Uh, the decision to have, uh, a quote unquote, no show from Brock Lesnar on the show. I still don't know if, if it was a work or a shoot. Do you? Well, it depends on who you ask, I suppose. And that's what we enjoy here on wrestling. Uh, podcast is, is breaking down what's real and what's not. Uh, some folks I think would, would say it was a work and it was designed this way. Others say it was a contract negotiation ploy with Brock Lesnar. I guess, uh, you never know. No, you don't. And, and the minute you want to say, well, nobody can just no show raw. If there is anybody, he's the guy, isn't he? He is indeed. There you have it. And we're going to find out who the guy is to get his question asked next week here on the show. We're doing hashtag ask Arn anything next week. The week after that, we're going to get March 10th at you. WrestleMania 26. What a show that's going to be on the 17th. It'll be all about ask Arn anything again on the 24th. WrestleMania 31 on April 7th. We'll be back with extreme rules. 2010 on April 21st, extreme rules, 2015, but for next week, if you've got a question for Arn, you need to go follow us on Twitter at the Arn show. It's that simple. Look near the top. You'll see something pinned and we'll be asking for your questions there. Go ahead and ask your question and then tune in next week and tell your friends to hit that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review and tune in every Tuesday right here on Westwood one for your favorite new wrestling podcast. Arn. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.